Jeremy, Jeremy, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop you right there. It's about winning. Okay. <laughs> These are what losers say. It's about you just, fun you watching just the game. You just said it. No. You think you a Patriots fan is it. saying You that? said the exact same shit. You said, well, and I'm seconds. a loser. I'm a loser. <laughs> you said the exact thing. I do lose. In my entire life, I do nothing but lose. Welcome back to Ben and Jeremy's Ohio's Finest Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about Colin Sexton and the Cavs' incredible victory over the Big Three debut, as well as some MLB free agent signings. And plus, we're going to talk a little bit about some hope for the future of the Lions with the new head coach and how Ben is looking forward to that. Hope you enjoy. Ben, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm not doing as well as Colin Sexton must be doing. I. Holy I can't believe smokes. I can't believe it. I mean, he, he's this is part of like the definition of putting some putting the team on your back, right? I mean, he 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 carried that team. He scored he scored at one point he scored 20 points straight for the Cavs. And it wasn't just scoring either. I mean, he KD was going up for a one-handed dunk and Sexton comes out of nowhere and strips the ball out of his hand as he's going up for the dunk. I mean, he really truly did it all. And I don't know this young Cavs team, they're sitting at a six seed right now in their conference. Um, but that's not how it's going to end up. You, you can't really expect if it does, I, I would love it, but you just got to look at the team that they do have compared to the rest of the league. You, you can't picture them totally making the playoffs, but Nonetheless, whatever the, whatever the end of this season looks like for them, it's an exciting team, and, and the guys are excited. And you've got a guy like Colin Sexton. I mean, that guy is just he he wants to win. He's a winner, and he is an incredible talent. And watching him night in, night out, I've watched a bunch of Cavs games this season. Um, it's just special. It's special seeing somebody like him. And you were saying that he, I mean, obviously he's wearing Kyrie's old number but you were saying he was wearing Kyrie's when, when he, when he hit these threes right in Kyrie's face to bury the game, you know, really just, they call him the young bull. I mean, truly just a incredible performance by him. It was so cool seeing it. it was, the Cavs posted a bunch of really cool stuff about it. Just everything about it. Just super cool. And Bleacher Report, TNT, everyone was going nuts over it, you know, just truly getting the respect of the rest of the league. People know he's a baller, but I mean, shoot, man, you're, you're a very mediocre. I would almost say like some people would say below mediocre Cavaliers team and Colin Sexton goes out there and plays a ridiculous game and robs the nets of a win in the big three debut. Incredible. Colin Sexton is one of um he's one of my low-key favorite athletes on the planet right now. I've loved him. I, I love his intensity. I mean, the thing that really got me at first was uh, when he was – his only year in Alabama when he played, uh, there was a game against Minnesota where everybody on – everybody on Alabama except for him and two other guys uh, got thrown out of the game. So for the last 10 minutes of the basketball game, they had to play three on five. Um, and with 46 seconds to go, they were down six. 
Um, and it was all because of Colin Sexton. I mean, he is a baller. He's one of those guys that just like it's unfortunate he's on the Cavs because the Cavs do stink, but he is a guy that wants to win so badly and that he will do everything he can to win. And I don't think he gets the recognition. And I'm not I don't necessarily disagree with him not getting the recognition. I mean, he's on a bad Cavs team. I mean, he isn't LeBron. Like no one's LeBron. He's not KD. No one's KD, but he's low key one of my favorite athletes because he's so much fun to watch because there aren't many guys on the planet that can score 20 straight points for their team. Um, it's just, it doesn't happen. You can't, there's not many guys that can take over a game like that. And he can, and he did it efficiently. He did it menacingly. And my God, he, he did it clutch. It was so much fun to watch. And me not being really a fan of either team necessarily, it was just really fun watching basketball. And the thing, again, with Colin Sexton is I'm watching the game, and I think the announcers mentioned something. Like, yeah, he scored the team in his last, like, 18 points. And I was like, what, he has? And I go, oh, 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 wow, I guess he has. It was like, yeah, he hit that final shot at the end. And I guess he he's done everything. Oh, wow, he scored the last year. They're right. And it's he just he's a guy who you look up and you go, oh, he's got 26 and 5? I didn't realize that. I had no idea he had 26 and five. Oh my God. He's got the mentality. He's got the respect around the league because I mean, there were so many guys around the league tweeting about him and it's not often that you have other NBA guys tweeting about other NBA guys. I mean, the last time I can really think of it uh, besides in the bubble, because the bubble was kind of weird, but um, was when Russell Westbrook put up 20, 20 and 20, there were a lot of guys around the league tweeting about it. And people were tweeting about this kind of the same way. He's a lot of fun. I don't think he's ever going to win anything with this Cavs team. I think he could be like, I think he would be like a perfect, if you put him on the late, like if you put him on the Lakers, he could finish up and make a big three. I think he's a third piece that really takes a team over the top. And down the line, I hope he gets that. I mean, he just, I want him to win a ring. I just don't think he'll be the number one guy, but man, is he fun to watch play basketball. He really is. And I know what you're talking about with people from around the league. You've got, you know, you, you see it a lot with awards and, and, but you're right. You see, you, you see players tweet about other players, but it's, it's, it's not too often that the entire league is posting about somebody and talking about somebody. And, and that's what, I mean, Sexton, that's what he demanded with that performance. And so when you were talking about that, I looked up that Alabama game that he had. Minnesota was ranked number 14 in the country. And it said the Crimson Tide's entire bench was ejected. A player fouled out and another sprained his ankle. So really just everything that could have possibly gone wrong. And they were down 10 at the time with 10 minutes left. And of course, like you said, they only lost by five points, but Alabama outscored Minnesota 30 to 22 while playing three on five. And Colin Sexton had 40 points as a, as a true freshman. Unreal. It's insane. And I, I just, it almost felt like one of those types of performances. You would have thought they were playing three on five. I mean, the guy was just, you know, you've got a lot of players around the league who are just, you know, get me the ball. I'm going to score. Um, but 
I mean, this guy truly was like, give me the ball, get me on an ISO. I'm winning us this game. And it was just absolutely insane to watch. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. It's, I couldn't think of a more, you know, exciting individual performance by a player because you do see players just straight up take over games sometimes. Um, but when it's a, when it's playing against a big three, uh, literally this new adaptation of, of a super team in the league and you've got the lowly Cavaliers and Sexton just won't, he won't be denied. He, he went out there and he was not being denied a win. And I just think that that's just absolutely insane. It, it's truly one of, truly one of the great um, individual performances that of the last couple of years in the NBA, just given, you know, maybe not points wise, but just given the context of it and given the fact that he had 20 of the team's points in a row, the last, it wasn't, it wasn't just 20 in a row. It was the last 20 points, wasn't it? Something ridiculous like that. Double overtime so. game, double overtime game. Honestly, truly just one of the Herculean would be like a good word, way to describe that. I mean, back against the wall, just absolutely playing out of his mind. It's just crazy. I mean, it, if you told me that, again, Kevin Durant's going to have 38, 12, and 8. Uh, Kyrie's going to put up 37. And then James Harden's going to have a 20-point triple-double. And not a soul will be talking about them the next game, the next day. I, and that the Nets are going to score 135 points, I'd be like, like, what happened? You've got to tell me what happened because something incredible must have happened. And that's what it was. I mean, it was, I mean, it was Colin Sexton. I mean, 42, 5, and 5. He only played 38 minutes. Uh, he is so fun. And that's just like he, like the performance reminded me a lot of, in the manner of fun that I had, not the manner of skill, because I do like, but it reminded me a lot of Tracy McGrady and our, in that announcement so because Tracy McGrady used to just take over games. And Tracy McGrady is better than Colin Sexton. Uh, Colin Sexton's not near Tracy McGrady, but the way that Tracy McGrady used to just take over games and he used to take over these moments and he used to stand up to other great, great, truly great teams and just go, hey, like, get on my back. We're going to be okay. I'm going to carry us here. And that's what he did. That's what Colin Sexton did. And it's, I mean, it's going to be awesome. It was an awesome performance. Uh, I mean, spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Uh, something, you know, going from one of the greatest things that has happened to uh, Cleveland sports in the past six months, I don't know, arbitrary, arbitrary time to, uh, Truly an awful day for sports in Cleveland. Jeremy. What are you referring to? Francisco Lindor. Just say it. What are you referring to? Francisco Lindor was traded to the Mets for a bag of peanuts, and Corey Kluber is a Yankee. Yeah. You know, it's hard to process that, or I should say continue to try to process that as I look at my Francisco Lindor canvas sitting on my wall. It's a Cleveland jersey on. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's pretty painful. Um, I just, I just can't. It's tough. I mean, you you have an organization that doesn't want to spend money, and the mid the small market excuse is, it's an age old excuse, and I think you and I talked a little bit about it, where 
you know, Dolan is worth like $4 billion or something like that. And he bought, I mean, he bought the Indians at a couple hundred million dollars and they're worth over a billion now. So, you know, this idea, uh, I mean, he's profitable with the team. He could sell the team at like a two or 300% profit at this point. And so it's, it's tough to sit there and like realistically say that this is a small market team, but that's the excuse. And that's the reasoning that's always going to be given for a team like the Indians. I mean, it, we've seen it for, you know, a couple, honestly, it's weird to say, you know, um, feels like we've been around for a while now, but you know, the last couple of decades, I mean, you see it, you saw it with Cliff Lee, CC Sabathia. Um, then you continue to see it with as Drupal Cabrera, but he wasn't really this generational talent, but he was still a multi-time all-star that, that we ended up trading and, and didn't want to pay. Then, you know, you fast forward a little bit and you see, I'm sure I'm missing some people there in the early to mid 2000s or 2010s, but then you get in and you see Michael Brantley recently, you see him, him get let go, or I should say, you know, that they trade him and and let somebody else pick him up. But um, you see Michael Brantley and, you know, now, now you have the one that, that some people have seen coming for a while with Lindor going. Um, It's, it's tough because Lindor, Lindor has been sitting here saying, I want to win in Cleveland. I want to win in Cleveland. And I think if you explained this to a non-sports person and said, you know, it just really sucks. He wanted to win in Cleveland. He wanted to win in Cleveland. I think a non-sports person would say, well, then why didn't he take a pay cut or why didn't he accept less money? And I think it just comes down to the idea of being paid what you're valued. And you, you can want to win somewhere as badly as you want, but if that organization doesn't place the value on you that you believe you have, then it kind of starts, that kind of weighs a little bit more. Knowing you want to win there. I mean, it would work the same as a job. You want to work somewhere, you want to stay there, but if they're not willing to pay you what you deserve, that kind of starts to shift a little bit, your priority and and your desire to win there because you want to win there and you want to be there for the fans. And the fans obviously help make playing for a city, for a professional sports team special. But the people that you're actually around every day is the ownership and you're in that stadium. And it starts, it probably starts to hurt a little bit showing up to that stadium every day knowing what your value is and that team refuses to acknowledge that. And I think with the Lindor case, they refused to acknowledge that to the extent of not really even seriously negotiating with them. I mean, it was, it, it was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago that Dolan said, you know, Indians fans should just enjoy him while he's here. I mean, that, that's just some of like, I mean, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if Lindor checked out right then and just told his agent like, all right, yeah, let's, we're, let's find something because that's just an absurd thing to tell your fan base, an absurd message to send to Lindor. So, man, it sucks. It's going to hit me, you know, seeing him in a, in a Mets jersey. Um, I saw something the other day, you know, from an Indians blog that I follow. From that 2016 World Series team, they're – are two players left on the active roster from that year. And it's Roberto Perez, catcher, and Jose Ramirez. And you've 
I'm not entirely sure what Jose's contract situation is. Actually, you know what? I think they locked him up a couple years ago for several years. So he's good there. Um, but man, Carlos Santana leaving, um, that didn't super surprise me. Um, he wanted to come back from Philadelphia and help us win something. But I think he also saw the writing on the wall of the fact that, all right, when I came back here, we were still poised to make a playoff run. And it's clear now that that that's not the case. And, and the ownership doesn't believe that that's the case and they don't want to make the push for that. So I do want, you know, he did want it. He did love Cleveland enough to come back. Obviously a fan favorite. I'll always love him, but he saw the same thing. He's like, yeah, you know, I wanted to come back and do something, but it became apparent that that's not what the ownership wanted to do in the next couple of years. So it, it's tough, man. It, it sucks. It sucks a lot. And you can't help but sit here and think that, you know, I, I don't want to spoil watching somebody truly special. You, you see something like this and you're like, man, how many more years until Shane Bieber becomes the next Cliff Lee for Cleveland where he's sold off once he his Cliff, you know, Shane Bieber, keep it up. I mean, he's going to be a $200 million contract guy. And the Indians aren't going to pay that. I can't, I can't, I can't. I remember this quote from Dolan, or maybe it was from an Indians GM that said, a triple digit contract. I don't know what you would call it. Hundreds of million, like what, what would you call it? Triple digit, whatever you want to call it. Nine figure, yeah. He said, the Indians will never pay a nine figure contract. We'll never, we'll never sign somebody to that. The only time that we will be signing somebody to a nine figure contract is when other teams are selling people are signing people to billion dollar contracts, basically what he said. So, you know, it's, it's just a general mentality of, because they could, they could in theory put more money into payroll. Um, but it's just this mentality of, we're not going to, it's not even, we don't want to, or maybe in the right circumstances, if you were ever going to do that, it would have been immediately after 2016. And they did, they added some pieces. And then 2017 rolls around, they break the American league record for consecutive wins. They go into the, they go into the postseason, and then they lose to, I don't even want to see your stupid smile when I say this, but they lose to a early peaking Yankees team, an early developing Yankees team that showed up early, a year early, unfortunately, but they lose to them. And then 2018 rolls around, they're still mostly the same team and then they lose to the Astros. And so um, if there was ever a time that the ownership would actually do that and actually go all in on winning the title, it was those years. And they added some pieces, but it still was just short. And, you know, they've made it clear that that's just not what they're going to do. If, if they can, it's literally like the GM in the beginning of Moneyball, you know, the A's GM, he's just, or the A's owner, I should say. He's just, we need to win with what we've got. I'm not giving you any more money. We can develop players and we'll win with them. And it's a good idea. It's a, in theory, it's, it's a nice idea. Like let's develop a homegrown team and we'll go win with them but it's really just not feasible. That's not how it works. You need to buy some pieces and the Indians aren't willing to do that. And they're not willing to keep those pieces that they develop if they become too expensive. One of the things you said, I found interesting because it's, it's so true. And it's something that, you know, if you can re try and relate it to normal people, 
um, in that knowing your value. And you said, you know, to a non-sports fan, be like, you know, why don't you just take a pay cut? And then you said something along the lines of, you know, they're asking you to take a pay cut. You could just stay there. And the situation is if you want to put it down to layman's terms and what, you know, what normal people can do is not only is, are you asking for, you're asking for a raise at your job and everybody at that job knows that you deserve it. You are well worth it. Like you 100% should get this. And you're asking for it. You're saying, Hey, I want to, I want to work here. And they tell you no. And at that same time, there are other jobs, you know, whatever you want to call them, just as good jobs that are saying, well, we we will happily, happily roll out the red carpet and pay you exactly what you want. And, you you know, your job that you want to work at goes, yeah, you should go there, go there, we go there, you know. And that's just what is happening with Lindor. I understand if he checks out. Uh, I heard a quote from somebody, and it's it. Unfortunately, it reigns true. If you're the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Mets now with Steve Cohen, if you're one of these big, big teams with one of these big, big payrolls, why do I need a farm system when I have Cleveland? Why do I need a farm system when I have Kansas City, Pittsburgh? I mean, you, why? Why? You know, I can I can do this farm system. Maybe one of these three guys will pan out. Or I could just spend him and go get the guy in Cleveland, go get the guy in Kansas City, go get the guy in Arizona. I mean, there's, and that's just the difference. That's the difference between the, those teams. Is is Cleveland, unfortunately, when they develop excellent talent, they become a farm system for the big fish, for the sharks. And you know, Kansas City won won it five years ago or, or so. It, it can happen, but like, when was the last time that happened? the 80s maybe i mean it it happens once every 20 years that something like that happens it doesn't happen often and it's sad it truly is sad i mean you got these small windows and you got these guys that are so good and like at the same time they're so fun because like there are guys that are so good that aren't that fun that, that you know you can't root for them as hard as you can but Lindor was one of those guys. And now the Mets fans are going to love him. Like, they are. And I, you, as an Indians fan, if you were to tell a Mets fan, like, I mean, what would you tell? What would you tell a Mets fan about Francisco Lindor? Like, you're sending him off. What, what would you tell him? I mean, if, how would you welcome Francisco Lindor to the Mets, Jeremy? I would say take care of my baby boy. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I... I, I would say as much as I want him in Cleveland, he, if Cleveland's not going to pay him and they're not going to do him justice by trying to win with him, then New York is a perfect landing spot for him. It, it would have either been New York or LA, but to, to a Mets fan, truly he's one of the most electric players in baseball, talent-wise and off the field. Dude, smile like radiates throughout the stadium like a little kid every single game it sounds cliche you know people say like oh you got to go out there and play like play like you're a little you know you're a little kid because it's a kid's game it's a child's game but I mean he truly does that he's got a huge smile on his face awesome personality he just loves the game of baseball he loves everything that comes with it and New York is just such an awesome landing spot for him he's going to be 
under those bright city lights. And like I said about Cleveland not trying to win with him, um, the world got a glimpse of Lindor in the 16 World Series. And then in 2017, when they had that winning streak, you know, the world got a glimpse of Lindor and how special and amazing he is. And, but if Cleveland stops being a contender because of literally ownership's desire not to be, he kind of falls by the wayside. You'll see highlights of him. You'll see this and that. Baseball fans, you know, will know. But I'm really excited for him just by, just with the fact that he's going to get to be under the bright lights of New York City and, you know, play in, you know, play, play in New York and be, you know, on truly one of the world's biggest stages of sport, you know, New York, LA, those are the biggest sports cities in the world. And for him to, to be there under those bright lights and, and, and for a contending team, the Mets aren't messing around. The Mets truly are not messing around. They, they're going to go out and they're going to try to win a world series and their ownership's got the right idea. And that's what they're going to go try to do. And so He's obviously going to be, be a major piece in that. And I just couldn't be more excited. Like, of course, selfishly, I would love him in Cleveland, but if we're not going to try to pay him and we're not going to try to win with him here, let him go somewhere where the camera is always going to be on him and he's going to get to do his thing, his incredibly special thing in front of everybody for a team that is specifically building a team to go and win right now. I mean, I'm looking at it because it reminded me. You said you started your – thing off when you're saying it started off with Cliff Lee and CC Sabathia and I'm going to say it started earlier than that um, when Cleveland started selling people off and there was the one that I think of to me that's the one the one I think of the most is Manny Ramirez I mean Manny Ramirez I'm just seeing a lot of similarities Manny Ramirez was a monster in Cleveland I I'm looking at his stats now and I didn't actually know this uh, in 1999, at age 27 in Cleveland, Manny had 165 RBIs in 147 games. I've never in my life seen somebody average more than one RBI, like even one RBI per game. That's unreal. Uh, and then you got Francisco Lindor. I mean, the same type of player where I think Manny Ramirez would fill up your stat sheet. Francisco Lindor did just as much. He did everything right. And good for him. Good for the Mets fans. Because the Mets fans are also suffering. I mean, they're also suffering. They had bad owners for the longest time, but they got out of it. And now they have Steve Cohen, who, by all means, seems like he could be a fun owner. He's the richest owner by a lot. Um, and it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, rooting for, I'm rooting for the Mets a little bit. Uh, I I want Francisco Lindor to be good. I want something to happen for, for him. I want him to succeed because he's fun. It's, it, it's just something. Um, you know, the Yankees just signed another one of your boys, Corey Kluber. My 2020 Cy Young pick, Corey Kluber. Um, we are now, I was one year off. 2021 Corey Kluber Cy Young guaranteed <laughs> yeah give me the money line right now Corey Kluber it's uh... <laughs> locking that one in again <laughs> oh my god uh, good for 
good for Kluber. I saw, you know, the other week he had had a tryout just because he's been, you know, he's a guy that really shouldn't need a tryout, but he's been hurt a good amount in the last couple of years. So he had a tryout. I remember seeing that the Indians were in attendance, but that's not really a news story because 28 teams were in attendance is from what I saw. 26, 28, something like that. Like it would be more notable if they didn't go kind of. Um, all those teams were in attendance. Obviously he's healthy now, healthy enough to be signed. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what you're getting with it, with a guy like Kluber at this point. Um, what you're going to get is if he's healthy, you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, glimpses of, of one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. And you're going to get those glimpses. He's a clubhouse guy too. So, I mean, shoot, if you're a team like the Yankees and you've got a younger rotation, why would you not want Kluber around those guys? So he, he, you know, people have said that he is, when he was in Cleveland, he was a trend. He was a fantastic mentor um, for guys like Bieber, you know, Bowers, Bowers kind of a rogue, but you know, nonetheless, he, he liked talking with Kluber, got guys like Bieber. And then of course you had the veteran Carrasco who's gone now as well. Um, But Kluber's a good clubhouse guy. And he's, he's an, if, even if he can only give you two thirds of the innings that he used to, I mean, shoot, just for the sake of, you know, those two thirds of his innings are going to be quality. Even if he can't physically give you more, they're going to be quality and he's going to be a fantastic addition for your pitching staff. So, I mean, I think it's an obvious signing if you've got the money and, you know, I don't think really many teams in baseball are going to look at him and be like, we need him. And he, a couple of years ago, a team would go and get him and they'd be like, we got our ace. Uh, you're not going to get that out of him anymore. I don't think you're not going to have many teams expecting that to happen. Um, but for what the Yankees are going to use him for, it's, it seems like it's the perfect fit. So um, I'm sure some other teams wanted to use him in that way too. It's just the Yankees won out in the end. Um, Lindor, I guess you're technically I'm seeing going to see Lindor next year in pinstripes. They'll just be different colors. Um, but I think it's going to be truly kind of odd seeing Kluber in uh, pinstripes, like the Yankee pinstripes. Um, but it'll be interesting. I mean, you're, you are a Yankees fan. Tell me about what you think. I'm excited. Uh, I don't think we paid them a lot. Uh, I, I hadn't seen contract numbers. If I were to guess, I'd say 10 million a year. Uh, that's not too much. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think we signed him to a two year deal. I think he lives around there. Uh, I don't know if he's originally from that area, but I, I believe he lived around that area. Um, I, I don't really see any downside to it. Um, with the payroll that we have, I mean, exactly. I, I, yeah, I just don't see any downside. If he gets injured, like you have an insurance policy on him, it's not going to cost the team any money. Um, he, it's only good. I think he can help with some of the guys. I think Jordan Montgomery is the guy that could help a lot with from Corey Kluber because Corey Kluber was, I mean, great pitcher, great, great pitcher, but he can help with some of these young pitchers. Garrett Cole is such a mechanic and an engineer when he pitches that, you know, I think that, yeah, I'm not saying he's a bad clubhouse guy. I think he's an excellent clubhouse guy, but Corey Kluber is another, another level of clubhouse guy. And that's something that this Yankees team seems like it needs. It needs a guy, Corey Kluber knows how to win. And um, that's going to help. It's going to help a lot of these young guys. Um, I like it. I, I really do. I still think that he can get out in this league. Um, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited. 
for one of the first times, I'm really actually truly excited about the Yankees because I think that they can win because we finally cut the shit and signed T.J. LeMayhew. Uh, that was that was going to make me so angry if they didn't sign him because it just – both sides wanted it to happen. Both sides were willing to make it happen. It was just – it infuriated me. They finally did the right thing. We're all good there. Uh, another way that I'm excited for one of the first times, and I didn't think I was going to be this excited, uh, the Detroit Lions have a new head coach, uh, a man – who played tight end for the Lions, a man who reportedly is a big fan of Metallica, uh, the man we will be calling Dan Talica, Dan Talica, Dan Campbell. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The only major red flag and it's a big red flag a big 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 red flag that i see with dan campbell is that he played for the lions he should know better he should know the dysfunction that happens in this league um and he happens in that building what are you doing it, it's like it's like it's like if you and a, it's like if you and a, a girl have a, just an awful 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 relationship and like you have your buddy over here that would get in the middle of it sometimes. And then all of a sudden they break up. And then like two years later, that friend gets with the girl and it's like, you know, what's going on. You know that she's a mess. Like, why are you doing it? Like, so that means like, to me, it's like, okay, there's something wrong with Dan Campbell, you know, but uh, my, my uncle is friends with, I forget his name, but he's the manager of the Orioles. And um, it was something along the lines of like, you know, I think my uncle asked him, he's like, look, the Orioles, like, they're not, it's not a really good situation you're going into. Like, you know, are you afraid that, like, it's not going to work out? And, you know, very much paraphrasing, he goes, there's only 30 jobs. There are only 30 of these jobs. If you get the opportunity to take one of these 30 jobs, you without a doubt, without hesitation, take the job. No questions asked. You take the job. And, I like Dan Campbell should take the job. He's got a lot of energy. He, I mean, his press conference this morning, electric. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I mean, the one thing I loved about Robert Sala was his energy. Dan Campbell brings the energy. Um, I'm optimistic. I think that really helps is he brought the defensive coordinator for the Saints, or I'm sorry, the defensive backs coach for the Saints, I believe, to be the, the defensive coordinator. Aaron, Aaron, or Aaron Glenn. I think his name is Aaron Glenn, and he's a stud. He's a stud. Those that defensive backs for the Saints have been excellent over the last five whatever years, and I think that's a big, big get. Um, I'm excited uh, for the first time in a while. I'm excited about the future because I think that he can bring some energy, and that's just one thing that the Lions haven't had. It's like the Lions haven't been fun to watch and fun to root for in a couple of years. Um, and, you know, if we're bad, okay, but like, let's, let's be fun. Like, you know, let's be fun bad. Let's get frisky with it. Like, let's, like, let's lose. Like if we put up 37 and, but we let up 41, that's a fun game. Like it's just not a lot of fun losing 21 to 10. Like that's crap. Um, I think he can be fun. And I'm looking forward to having fun watching the Lions again. 
I mean, that's really what it's all about. I think, you know, at the end of the day, football is one of those sports. I mean, you could go for most. You could say this for most. Jeremy, Jeremy, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop you right there. It's about winning. Okay. <laughs> These are what losers say. It's about you having just, fun you watching just the game. Said it. No. You, think you a just fan said is it. You that? said the exact same shit. You said, well, and I'm seconds. a loser. I'm a loser. <laughs> you said the exact I thing. I nothing but lose. In my entire life, I do nothing but lose. <laughs> So, so you are going to go on about how, oh, I, it's okay if we lose as long as, as long as it's a fun game. And the second I start to reaffirm that and rephrase it in my own way, you attack me. That's- yeah. Yes. Yes. Because that's what lose uh, we've established. I am a loser. I've done nothing but lose over the last 25 <laughs> years. Lose. Okay, don't reaffirm my losing attitude. Fine. Lions are going to go to the Super Bowl under Dan Campbell, <laughs> and they're just they're going 65 to nothing over a 50-year-old Tom Brady. Are you happy now? He just doesn't quit. I am happy. <laughs> go on with what you were saying, Bill. <laughs> I was going to say that that is so – that is one of the quickest ways to lose your job as a head coach in sports is being a boring team. Um, because you can, you can noticeably see if a team is noticeably less talented than their competition, but the lions, they truly aren't always like that. They're not always less talented that like Stafford is a great quarterback and he he's missing a lot of weapons, obviously, but there's glimpses in there and that team, that team can compete in the league and they can go out and win games. But the big problem is that when there's just no coaching there and the team is just lost and they look lost out there, that's the quickest way to lose your job. Because like you said, and you got very upset and very triggered, but if you're scoring 37 points and you're giving up 41 Fans, in my opinion, I think fans will literally put up with losing for longer if that's the case. Um, Here at Texas Tech, we had the same thing with Cliff Kingsbury. And Kingsbury, I mean, he had Patrick Mahomes here, who is on pace, you could argue, a lot of people would argue, is on pace to be, you know, the greatest quarterback ever, or at least one of them. And he was here at Tech, and Cliff was winning like five or six games a year with him. If and people would be shocked if he, if you asked a random person on the street, what do you think Patrick Mahomes college career was knowing what you see in the pros, they would probably, some people, non-sports people would probably say like, I don't know, did he win a national title or something? That would be your assumption looking at the way he plays. Um, but Cliff played at Texas tech and the offense he ran was, they would be scoring 45 points a game. Now they'd be giving up 55 or 63, but fans, fans literally still showed up to those games. They came out. And the reason they were is because they knew when they came to the game that Texas tech would be in the game. And of course, all those fans, when Texas tech loses, they're leaving and being like, damn, we just need some defense, but needing defense is way better than needing offense. It truly is. If you're scoring, 
you, you can outshoot another team. All you need is a couple defensive stops to pull it off. But if you can't even score and your defense is constantly on the field and you're putting up 10, 14 points a game, it's going to be a long season. It's going to be a really long season. It's going to be boring. And that coach is going to be out of there because you can't be competitive without an offense. Yeah. And I mean, there's an age old mantra defense wins championships. And in the last couple of years, I'm going to disagree with that. Uh, I think you can have a okay defense and you can win when you have these offenses, just when you, you're going to tell me the chiefs with the potent offense that they have, where the closest thing I can compare them to is the golden state warriors of a couple of years ago is where you look up, you know, you look up and you go over oh, well, they're down seven. You literally go to the bathroom. And by the time you come back, they're, they're tied. That's the type of offense the chiefs have. They have this potency of that. They can score at will in a second and get themselves back in any single game. And all they need is a defense that can get two stops, maybe three stops. And if, as long as they're quick stops, the, the chiefs will win. And if you have that, it, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun to watch too, because there's not a lot of people that like look at these dominant defenses and be like, Oh, this is fun. You know, like, you know, it's fun. Like Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, like that, that's fun. Like Ray Lewis on the Ravens was fun. It's not Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes. Um, It's just, I'm looking for a spark and that's just something that I think Dan Campbell can give. I think he can give some energy and, like I said, that's just what I've been missing. I think that's just what any, besides winning, uh, which is obviously off the table for both of us, I just want to get excited. I want to have fun watching sports again and not just being angry. And just, you know, I, I've given so much time. I, I gave, let's see, what, there's 16 games, three hours. I gave probably four, maybe three full or three full days of my life, um, two and a half days of my life over the past year, just watching the Lions for nothing, for nothing, for, for five wins (laughs) to go five and 11 and just be angry. I mean, we've wasted 10 years of Matthew Savage's career. I just want to get him something. I, I want to be excited. I don't want to, my, you know, the entire life has been rebuilding. Wow. I saw a graphic and it was depressing when you mean. say it like that. Yeah. Mean. They didn't need ESPN didn't need to do it. Is they put up a graphic of uh, playoff wins since 1958. And they went through the entire NFL. And went through everything like the Patriots 37 and they go all the way down. And they're like the Texans who started as a franchise in 2002, has four. And then the Lions have one. I just want one in my lifetime. I just want, like, I want to watch one playoff game where we win with my dad. Is that too much to ask? Like, that's all I want to do. I thought the same thing this past weekend watching the Browns. Um and then, of course, the weekend, you know, the weekend before with the Steelers, it was incredible. And it, granted, they have won a playoff game in my lifetime, or they've been to the playoffs in my lifetime. Um, 
you know, 18 years ago, but I wasn't watching that game. So seeing them finally back in the playoffs and then them winning in the ridiculous way they did against the Steelers, just kicking them in the teeth. It was amazing. It was honestly amazing. And um, the Chiefs game, again, it was kind of like gravy. I mean, we, it's, a little, it's a little saltier taste in the mouth because they could have won that game. They very well could have won that game. But if we would have lost by 21, a lot of Browns fans would have been like, shit, you know, well, it's Patrick Mahomes. Hey, we kicked, the, we kicked the hell out of the Steelers. We made it to the playoffs. We have a playoff win. Let's go from there. Um, it's a little salty, but it's even more optimistic of an outlook because it's like, look, we were in that game. Granted, Mahomes had to go to the locker room for a little bit, or for the rest of the game, I should say. Mahomes had to go to the locker room. They lost him. But truly, they had that, they had that game, and it was close. And it gets lost in the mix with the whole Higgins fumble out of the end zone and things like that. But like you look at Baker's last like six, seven completions of that game, they were, they were on the money. He was pinpoint. He was putting it in the pocket. You know, he was truly putting it in the basket and the throws that, I mean, if you want to, I, I can't remember who tweeted it out, but it's just a compilation of the last like five, six completions that Baker had. And they were, there's not a quarterback in the NFL that throws better passes than that. Or I should say that those passes are up there with every single best top tier quarterback that you can name with where they were. And it's a lot of optimism out of it. And I hope the Lions get that sometime soon. And whether it's Dan Campbell, that'd be fantastic. But if it's not, then that's probably going to mean another at least four or five years before that happens. But if it's Dan Campbell, then all the power to you, then you, then you have to expect that it's maybe in the next couple of years. And that's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. The thing I don't get is they gave him a six year contract. What has he done to deserve a six year contract? Oh, well, just some more wasted money. I've wasted a lot of time. What's a little money. You started this conversation. This is what I'm optimistic about. And you, you have now ended it with, what a waste of money <laughs> and they haven't played between the time you started talking to right now. They have not even practiced or taken the field or he had probably hasn't even gotten to Detroit yet, or he had probably hasn't even stepped in the facility yet. And you're sitting here like what a waste of money and time. Don't forget the and time. Sure. Don't, don't forget. Don't forget the precious time that we will never get back in this very futile existence. We live. I literally just did the math. Like if every Lions game is what three hours, like that's fair. There were sixteen of them. That's forty-eight hours. Two full days of my life last year were spent just to the Lions. Not going to get those back. Um, <laughs> two times twenty. Uh, I've spent probably in my life over a month just watching Lions football, and I have. <laughs> Oh boy, they've probably averaged five wins. Uh, I I have probably spent, I may have spent roughly even the amount of total days watching the Lions as I've received wins. (laughs) Who's the idiot? I'm the idiot. I think that'll about do it as we end on a very somber note, but tweet at Ben. Tweet at our podcast at Ben and Jeremy's underscore and let us know how many days you've wasted of your life watching your favorite NFL team. 
if you're a fan of the Lions or the Browns, you've wasted considerable amount of days. And if you're a fan of the Patriots, don't even bring that shit in here. Saying that you've spent this many days and been rewarded this much. We, we only want a pity party over here. I don't want to hear any of that. <laughs>